This is a friendly reminder that we are selling Chillinoy t-shirts. You can pick up your t-shirt at chillinoy.net slash support. Make sure to act fast because our store closes in four days on Sunday, October 24th. Once again, that's chillinoy.net slash support. The shirt costs around $27. Five of those dollars go to Chillinoy, and the rest of the money goes to a local business right here in Illinois. Support your local artists and support a local business by purchasing a Chillinoy t-shirt. The episode that you're about to listen to was recorded while I was on the road. As such, the quality of the conversation is not at our usual bar. I hope that the quality of the conversation makes up for the quality of the conversation, if you will. Here is the episode. Enjoy. Mark, Betsy, please introduce yourselves to the Chil- the audience of the Chillinoy podcast and tell us about what you do. Sure. My name is Mark Waller. I am a CPA for Mormon Waller CPAs. And I'm Betsy Morham, and I'm I'm the other half of Mormon Waller CPAs. I'm also CPA and um, co-founder and managing partner of the firm. What's a CPA? What is a CPA? <laughs> it stands for Certified Public Accountant. Oh, yes. Cool. So, <laughs> so um, this is I, I think a, I, mean, I don't know if we want to jump right into it, but this is kind of a I think is one uh, misconception about the accounting field is that. Um, you don't automatically become a CPA if you graduate with an accounting major. So uh, the, the um, CPA exam is a four-part exam that you, um, that you sit for, and it, there's certain qualifications to sit for that exam. So you have to have 150 credit hours, and it does depend on where you're taking it, but you have to have about 150 credit hours and then um, a year of experience in the field. So typically, um, accounting majors will go to school for four to five years, and then they need a year of experience, and then they can sit for the exam. Um, Sometimes people complete that experience with an internship as well. So it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty rigorous exam. We wear that CPA badge proudly. (laughs) And I would add to that too, that, um, like yeah like Betsy said um, not every every accounting firm is a CPA firm um, and I would also add one one other misconception that we clear up quite a bit is um, we are licensed in our home state of Minnesota but we can practice in all 50 states so uh, we're not like attorneys where you have to kind of stick within your own state we can actually practice all over the country very cool very cool. Which leads to my next question. Um, what, you know, um, how does this relate to cannabis? Yeah. yeah well, that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> you want Mark, you want to give them, give them the rundown? Absolutely. So our firm is, uh, kind of perfectly situated to work with cannabis businesses. Um, and, the reason for that is actually when, when we started this firm, um, now it's been uh, over a year, <laughs> but uh, we, we have, when we officially started the firm, but uh, Betsy and I were kind of looking at ways that we could partner and, and grow a firm together. And um, we're both interested in the cannabis space as a potential 
place to, to grow and a potential place where we can utilize what we do best and hopefully help as many clients as we could. We could. So um, we, we joined a national network called Dope CFO, which is just a fantastic name, obviously. Um, um, and we, we work with uh, a national network of CPA firms and accounting firms and other CFOs, attorneys, and really are kind of specially geared towards helping uh, cannabis business owners fill that really vital function uh, of their business. Um, we kind of think of it as, as the entire kind of finance function of a business, um, everything from paying bills to banking to paying your taxes, to filing your taxes, um, and, and kind of everything in between. So um, at least for me, when I was, when I was looking for a, a different way to um, get back into public, public accounting, uh, this seems like a really wonderful combination of things that were, um, you know, both professionally satisfying, but also as an industry, just really, um, really potentially rewarding to to help uh, business owners get to where where we think they could be. Gotcha. And so, is there anything in particular uh, that makes uh, cannabis, you know, besides the fact that it's an industry, interesting industry. Is there anything uh, particularly that, that's, I guess, particularly complex about the way the accounting works? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing is that cannabis business owners have to face is, is that cannabis is still federally illegal. And because of that, there are there's a number of different expenses that kind of a typical business would have would be able to deduct from their taxes that cannabis businesses cannot deduct, which effectively means cannabis businesses are paying a lot more in tax than uh, a standard you know non federally illegal business would be, um, which which also means it's kind of twofold. One is they're paying more in tax, which sucks, honestly. It's too bad because um, it, it doesn't really seem fair, but it, it is the way that it is. But the other side of that is clients. And so not only are you expected to pay the tax on your business, but if you don't um, file your taxes appropriately or if you if you don't kind of keep your books in line in a way that aligns with the way that you are filing your tax return at the end of the year, um, you can be subject to audit, which is obviously very painful for uh, any business owner who's, any business owner in any walk of life who's been through an IRS audit uh, knows it is not not a fun experience. So our whole goal is really to help Canada's business owners avoid that. You know, first, first and foremost is don't get audited, do your taxes, file your taxes correctly. If you happen to be selected for audit, um, be in a place where you know you've been doing things the right way for the past several years so that um, an audit is not doesn't have to be that painful. Um, so, I, I mean, I, we, we come to it from that angle where we're, we're trying to help, help them avoid, uh, you know, huge headaches and then, then hopefully add some value 
uh, where you're not just kind of surviving, but you're also thriving. Very cool. Very cool. Um, just to, I don't, I don't know, I, I hate to get granular, but just a specific question, you know, do cannabis employees have to pay uh, higher like income taxes as a result of this as well? Uh, do you get the question I'm asking? We've, ever, and we've yeah. never actually gotten that question before, but the answer is no. So the employees aren't affected at all. It's just the, the business that's affected by the higher tax taxation, which it, it's not that they're getting taxed at higher rates. It's just that they cannot deduct as much as a normal ah. business. Therefore, um, they're getting taxed on more income. And you said that's as a result of its federal illegality. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's called Section 280E. And so um, the thing that that uh, uh, cannabis businesses can write off write off is their cost of goods sold. And so um, that is uh, calculating the COGS is, is when is where the accounting, the proper accounting becomes really important. Um, cool. Because you, you need to be you need to be um, knowledgeable on what can be included in that cost of goods sold number. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very interesting. Um, going forward, um, like, well, first of all, do you, do you find that um, people benefit a lot from your services? Admittedly, a little bit of a softball question, um, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, what have, what have you heard? Are you operating in multiple states? Um, you know, are people happy that you seem to be a cannabis industry focused CPA? Yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, I... go ahead, Mark. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, what we try to do is, is do more than just uh, be kind of a number cruncher. We also are trying to help in other ways. And, and some of the ways that some of our clients have utilized us is, with uh, investor investor pitch decks and including uh, hey, projected financial statements. Before we get any sorry, further, really quick, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but really quick, where can we find you online and uh, and such? I want to make sure that we get that yeah. get that out there. Yeah, so we are on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We're trying to, you know, uh, Instagram is is kind of where we're spending most of our time. And so our handle is Moram Waller CPA. And Great. you'll be seeing a lot of content from us in the next couple of days because we'll be attending the um, MJ BizCon in Las Vegas. Very exciting. Folks, yeah. we'll have, that, have that in the podcast description if you'd like to connect um, with these folks uh, on social media. Mark, I am so sorry I cut you off, but I, I wanted to make sure to get that out there on the record so that as people are listening Absolutely. to you uh, talk that they can look you up and stuff. So go ahead. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, um, the, uh, the other place you can find us is as our website is moramwaller.cpa. Um, and then reach us email at uh, mark at moramwaller.cpa, Betsy at moramwaller.cpa. Um, so yeah, we are we're we're early adopters on uh, the .cpa uh, domain, which is which is new. Uh, so I don't know if we're, cool. we may be the only ones using it, but <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so so I mean, I think the way that that we try to add value to our clients beyond just kind of number crunching is also being just a partner with them um, on their leadership team. So, you know, a few a few different clients have have utilized us for uh, five year financial statements that that they've been able to include in investor pitch de- decks, and um, I think that's just another way that that it, it's it's helpful to to connect um, and kind of add more value. For those businesses so um i mean the other thing too is that we we really want to have a um a strong national network so you know in addition to other other cpas other other cfos in our network um we also have a network of other hr folks and other operational efficiency folks and uh, uh you know things like inventory management um helping with compliance in those areas the, we try to be kind of a, a catch-all, you know, get as many of those kind of operational systems in place so that um, there isn't, you know, you, you don't have five different service providers doing five different things. We really kind of want to be that central hub so that um, all of those different, very important uh, pieces of your business are are connected. Um, and so we come we come to the table with those connections in place that I think is uh, super valuable. That's very cool. Very cool. Uh, cool to hear how you're filling uh, the void in multiple ways yeah. um, for, for these businesses. So, And Cole, you had mentioned, or you had asked if, what kind of feedback we're getting. And I think that from the cannabis owner's perspective, it's very comforting that for them to know that they've got accountants who are trained in cannabis just because there's so much at stake here in this industry. Um, I think that it helps them sleep at night that their accounting is in uh, the hands of of people who are experienced in the industry. Gotcha. Well said, well said, and that's good to hear. Um, So has uh, have things picked up over the past year? I mean, uh, as more States start to, legalize are you finding yourselves in in more states i mean we just with this most re- recent election cycle we've had a few other states added um yeah what are how are things going nowadays with uh with business i think they're picking up um and i i mean especially every state that's coming on uh online there's there's different opportunities i think you know you guys are you're in illinois and i think every every state is kind of its own beast. So, uh, you know, other states that we're in, um, the licensing stage is a little bit further along. Um, and I think it just kind of depends on what's happening in each state. But um, what, what we're trying to kind of focus on is, is seeing how those states are coming on board, understanding what's happening in every state and trying to tailor our services in a way so that it helps the businesses in those states. So, so for example, in Massachusetts, um, there are a number of businesses that are getting licensed that are, you know, some of them are part of the social equity uh, licensing program. Um, and depending on the municipality of that location, um, some of the businesses are, are signing off on post-community agreements that have a number of different 
kind of rules included. And one of them, uh, and this is this is crazy, but in, in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, for example, every business that signs a host community agreement uh, is also certifying that they will be uh, providing audited financial statements to the city by basically four months after their their year-end close. Um, and this, I know when we've talked to businesses, some businesses don't even know that this is in the agreement that they they sign, which, you know, obviously you want to know what you what you have in your in um, anything that you sign. But on the other hand, there's so much that that uh, business owners have to worry about that that might be something that gets overlooked until it's time to actually have it be done. Um, and so we want to try to be kind of proactive and letting letting them know when those things are happening. If you're signing a host community agreement, what are the kind of the financial parameters? What are the, what are the reporting requirements that you'll have to start thinking about? And how can you start thinking about them now um, so that you don't have a huge headache down the road? Gotcha. What's your... Um what's your outlook on the future of cannabis? I mean, we're seeing uh, safe banking being kind of, uh, it seems like it's got some good, solid bipartisan support. It sounds like it's uh, going to make its way, uh, you know, so what, what are you, what is your outlook with regard to that entire situation? Is, is this a good thing for the industry? Is it a bad thing? Yeah, I, 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 am of the opinion that I, I would love to have safe banking on the table now, um, even if legal, you know, full, a full legal bill, I think the, it's called the Moore Act, I believe. Um, even if that waits for a couple of years, I think uh, businesses need that safe banking now because it's, it's really uh, a huge hindrance to not really have um, the ability to do a whole lot in in banking for cannabis businesses that are legal. It's just like to me, it's just crazy that you know you have these states that are legal that every they have good programs set up, um, but banks really have their hands tied. And and there are some banks obviously that that work with cannabis businesses, but um, for the most part, you're not going to see the big players in the business. Um, you're going to see you. Know, we work with a lot of businesses that work with uh, community banks and credit unions, and they have excellent programs that you know help them stay, help the banks stay compliant. Um, but it would just be a huge, a huge relief, I think, just to get banking in place. And I'm I'm all in favor of, of other things coming across the table, but I think we need that now. Sure, That's my opinion. <laughs> Yeah. Speak, did, what was the uh, conference that you guys are going to be at coming soon? What was that again? Uh, we're going to be at MJ BizCon um, week of uh, October 18th. So we will be hanging out there saying hello very, to people. Very cool. Uh, speaking of MJ Biz, uh, mjbizdaily.com, I believe that's the same folks. Um they recently reported that a cannabis real estate lender got an FDIC backed credit line. Have you read about this story? I didn't see the heading, the headline for that. Um, and, and just kind of read the brief caption, but haven't looked into it much further. Gotcha. Off, just off of 
the idea alone, knowing that you haven't read into it, do you have any thoughts? I mean, it seems like a, a, a nice step forward. It's, it's the, the FDA being at the FDIC is willing to, to back up the real estate, I think is a good indicator that we're headed in the right direction. Um, I mean, the tides, the tides have been turning for a long time and I think they're continuing to turn in the right direction. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I have the same thoughts. Just was curious uh, what you guys thought of uh, being that, you know, you guys have definitely more credentials than I do with regard to it, but that was my thought as well, which is like, um, I mean, it, it gives me a little faith to see an FDIC uh, credit line get issued to a cannabis business. I mean, it's, historical and if, if confirmed that's historical right so yeah for sure there's i mean there's also little things that you see uh like this year um the aicpa is uh which is kind of the national the, the american institute of certified public accountants it's kind of the national network uh, membership network for cpas um they are hosting a uh, cannabis accounting um conference actually happening in in november just a few weeks from now um that actually our our uh our network leader and, and mentor andrew hunziker is is uh speaking at that and i think that's i believe this is the first time that aicpa is hosting a conference that's just about cannabis accounting so there's that um the irs in september um put out kind of an official guide on cannabis accounting and taxes um, that is specifically geared to help um, business owners. So I see those those signs as as you know little little indications that the tide is turning nationally. Um, it does seem like it's a matter of of when, not if. I think nationally, whether that means it's um, a year from now or five years from now, I honestly I honestly couldn't tell you. I tend to think it's going to be a little bit longer, um, just given what the federal government is dealing with with COVID and, and other priorities. But I do think it's a matter of when, not if, and, and whether whether the federal, you know, federal government beats the state governments, um, we'll see. I, I also think there's going to be, there's going to be ir irregularities across the country where you may have a state that's legal, but you may have cities that decide we still don't want to deal with cannabis. So I think there's going to be there's going to be kind of headaches all across, you know, you know, all over the place that um, have to solve for, and we'll just have to have to be flexible. Um, for us as a as a firm, we'll be we'll just have to be flexible and see what those changes are and and how we deal with them best. Is there any industry like this that has so many moving parts? Um, and uh, let's be honest, uh, you know. Uh, passionate opinions you have people that are either for it or you have people that are very against it i mean you do have some people in the middle but the people that are vocal are the people who are for and against it right so um, yeah i i really can't think of another industry like this and the fact that every state is so different just really adds to the complexity of things i mean i'd love to hear you cole talk about the current situation in in illinois um I've seen a couple of articles about the um, the lottery process and and some critiquing of how that's all gone down. Can you speak to that yeah. at all? 
Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so first of all, there's going to be a, a court ruling tomorrow by Judge Jacobius, who's been overseeing the uh, issuance. Uh, I'm a little bit on the spot right now, uh, but uh, for for 185 dispensary licenses. So those have been held up um, and mired in controversy because the scoring application process had um, provisions inside of uh, language inside of the application, which allowed for social quote unquote social equity candidates to, um, you know, re- receive higher scores as a result of their uh, status. And um, so, yeah, ultimately, like I say, I, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but uh, the process has been, uh, there's been some controversy surrounding the process because uh, there was like a clause which allowed you to gain social equity status just by having um, people that fit that definition on your payroll. Uh, a lot of people called that the slave master clause um, because oh, yeah. of the idea that, you know, like you would be applying, but you're not a social equity candidate, but the people. Right. Yeah. That's, you that's know what I mean? <laughs> and then there's the whole, uh, the whole controversy around the lottery itself, which is that nobody really saw how it was conducted. Um, they did release uh, a extremely low resolution resolution image of how the process apparently looked. It was two gentlemen standing at a computer, an Illinois lottery system computer, and apparently it picked the winners uh, somehow. Um, of course, it's important to mention that the odds of winning, as pointed out by uh cannabis industry lawyer uh thomas howard who uh works for legal uh, cannabis legalization news folks if you want to look him up he produces great content one of the things he had recently posted is how statistically nobody had an equal chance and i believe one of the things he was talking about with regard to that is the idea that um so with the lottery you know, if you submitted an application, that was one ball in the lottery. Again, of course, it's not actual balls. It was digital. Um, but you could, you could submit as many applications as you wanted. However, the, each application cost, I think it was $5,000. So some people submitted like, you know, 20 plus applications, whereas some people could only afford to submit one. And so the odds were extremely weighed in certain people's favors and uh there's there's so much more to to go over with this but if that gives you a glimpse at all at what's going on here um yeah it's there's a lot going on uh, i i have to point to my friends at grownin.com uh it's mike fouché and brad spears and they're two reporters that do great work and they ultimately their reporting is what keeps me up to date on all of this. And they come on our show sometimes to break down uh, what they're reporting and what they're hearing on the street. So I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it, it did. And, and that's, that's really interesting. It seems like Chicago kind of has an issue with this <laughs> a long, a long history of this kind of issue where um, people have sort of bought their way um, into yeah. these favorable situations. And I'm truly starting to believe, you know, we've, we've had this conversation on the show and I don't know if you have any thoughts about it. Um, 
I recognize that as a, as an accountant, you know, you may not, but, but, you know, since you're operating in so many different States and you, you have such a focus on the industry, maybe you do have thoughts. Anyways, the idea is like, we approach this with the idea of, uh, you know, righting the wrongs of, of the war on drugs. And, and by doing that, we've tried to pick out what we called social equity candidates. And so we crafted a definition of that by law. And I don't know exactly the definition off the top of my head, but it's like, if you lived in a, a DIA or a disproportionately impacted area within the last so many years, if you've had a cannabis offense, if like, like I say, there are different criteria that allow you to, um, by the color of the law, gain that status and get those points. Um, my thing is like, because it was so limited, since we only had 185 dispensary license up for grabs, I think something like in the 40 to 60 ballpark range for craft cultivation licenses. And then, and then funnily enough, we had unlimited an, a number of transportation licenses. So that leads me to my idea is that I think not that we need unlimited, but we certainly need less limits. How about that? Um, and you look at a state like Oklahoma, which, or sorry, uh, Washington, but Oklahoma is another good one. Um, but you look at a state like Washington, which a lot of people use as an example of where that idea that I'm kind of proposing has gone wrong, which is like less limits on licenses, um, you know, to allow more competition. So what a lot of people point out is that in Washington, um, the prices hit the bottom of the barrel, right? Vice did some reporting on it. And they found that because so many people were able to get licenses, like the price just fell to where it was like almost $40 an ounce at some places. And so it was really tough for some operators to, to make money and, and be profitable. Um, and, and look, I, I hear it, I hear them. But the one thing that I noticed is that um, the people that weren't upset were the consumers, right. That were able to get cannabis at, a, at an affordable price and, the way that I look at it is that those people knew what they were getting into or they should have if they realized, you know, Hey, there's no license limits. Um, and this could all go this way. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I, I, I try not to be too brash because I, I know that a lot of people were hurt by what happened in Washington, but at the same time, everybody had a chance. And I think that's like, I don't yeah, know. So, I feel like that's um, a valuable idea. And, and I, I, I guess I don't know this. Do you know what, what were the costs to apply in Washington? Cause I think that that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle as well. As you mentioned in Illinois, an application was $5,000. Well, if you're making the, the um, cost to entry really high, then you're not really achieving that social equity goal. Um, Bingo. And I think, I think Massachusetts is, a, is an example of a state that's doing things extremely well. Um, I can't remember the exact number of years, Mark, and you could probably speak to this, but for the first X number of years, they are you know, only allowing social equity licenses. Um, and then, Mark, is that correct? Do I have that correct? That, that's true in in minnesota is um and that uh, obviously that law hasn't passed in minnesota but it is it um uh, and i actually i don't know for sure if it's only social equity licenses but it is definitely limited to um, a certain number of licenses with the idea that 
um, they want to encourage small businesses to grow in that state and not be subject to kind of multi-state operators that may come in and kind of take over, um, which, I, you know, regardless of whether it's, it's social equity involved or not, I think um, I like that approach um, because yeah. it, it, gives, it gives business owners an opportunity to really grow um, organically. I would also add too, I, I, I've talked, you know, worked with some of the, some of the accountants, uh, attorneys in our, our network are trying to do that job where um, they are just trying to match make kind of between social equity applicants in certain states and investors. And where I see a big opportunity is being able to bridge that gap between social equity applicants and um, investors where, um, you know, as, as I'm sure we all know and would assume, um, social equity applicants are generally uh, black and brown people, and, which, and that's great, and it's what the program should be. And um, investors are typically white men. And there is, unfortunately, there is, there's a bridge to gap there, usually. And it's, it's usually everybody comes to the table with, um, with the best intentions in mind, but there's an understandable, you know, kind of on a macro level, I'm speaking here, but there's an understandable lack of trust between um, parties that, um, you know, we as, we as accountants, and this is where I get kind of excited about the opportunity to help is, is we can hopefully bridge that gap where we can, we can talk both languages um, and, and hopefully make it so that, um, you know, the social equity programs that are coming coming into place are truly as effective as they can be. I, you know, I'm, I'm married to a PhD in rhetoric. Uh, my wife is a, is a PhD and, and, you know, you know, we talk a lot about just kind of overall, you know, how to, how to solve for um, discrimination and, and inequities in the system. And I, I don't think one single system can do it all. Um, I think it has to be, you know, a global movement. Um, but I do think programs on on this level are helpful, and whether you know how they're executed, um, I kind of think, you know, obviously give as many opportunities as you can. But um, I, I I try to I try to look at it from the perspective of we're trying to help help people on the ground as much as we can. So it's, it's hard for me to say whether one program is, is better or not, but I think yeah. um, we can learn from what's happening in other states. One thing I want to clarify too about my approach that like, I'm not suggesting a, a like a copy and paste of Washington by any means. Like, I think like you say, and I think that, uh, I think that uh, Betsy mentioned this as well. Um, you know, we want to be, cognizant and and careful about you know an mso or a large company coming in and just you know monopolizing the market um and so when i say um you know loosen it up i just mean that maybe there should be like you know an unlimited amount of people should be to have the chance to get a license but there should they should still be limited in how many licenses they carry um one of the questions 
Betsy, and I don't know what the right number is. I want to be clear about that either. I'm not, I don't have like a magic wand, but I feel like the answer is somewhere in the middle between, you know, allowing everybody to have a chance, but also keeping, having some limits in place, including safety consumers, sorry, consumer safety standards, you know, of course, because uh, if you can't pass a pro, if you can't, if your t- product cannot pass a test, then it can't be on the shelves for consumers, right? So the, just general uh, safeguards like that. But to answer one of Betsy's questions earlier that I don't think I addressed, like in Oklahoma, for example, uh, I might be wrong. I'm doing this off of memory, but I'm pretty sure it costs twenty five hundred dollars to get a cannabis dispensary license and you can purchase i could go online right now and type in my credit card information and i believe by like tomorrow i will be licensed to operate in oklahoma Um, yeah that's pretty wild they have to have a place and everything like that um, but from what I understand, it's it's that easy some places, you know. Um, and I, yeah, I almost but, think why why not, you know, uh, why not make it that easy? Because again, people that uh, Mark was saying, uh, people that fit the definition of social equity are off there. There aren't barriers to entry, right? Um, sorry, I think um, you were you were delayed there a bit, Cole. So I. I don't know what my sounds coming like over to you. Um, oh, it's, but, all good. it's all good. Okay. But yeah, we have heard the same thing. Um, and we're seeing the same thing as well in, in Oklahoma. It's, it's kind of like the wild, wild west of cannabis right now. It's kind of a free for all. And it, it feels a little bit disorganized. Um, but to yeah, point, I mean, they don't even have, they don't even have a seed to sale system, uh, uniformly, uh, uh, employed or um, working rather in the state. So uh, that's a huge problem actually with Oklahoma cannabis is that the cannabis is not being tracked and therefore you could be getting product that is not subject to consumer safety standards. So wild west, like you say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really don't know what the solution is. There are people much smarter than me. I'm sure that have, um, good ideas about what is, what is the right balance. But, um, I think from our perspective, we would like to see, um, these social equity programs really, really working. And and part of what we offer at our firm is, you know, we, we, um, we want to make our services affordable to social equity applicants. And so that's, that's what we've been doing and that's what we'll continue to do. And, and, um, Hopefully that combined with our experience with startups specifically, um, you know, helping people get investor money, we can, we can make a difference to um, individuals who are, are trying to get into the industry. Do you guys have any ways in which um, either just everyday people or let's say businesses that reach out to you, contact you that aren't social equity? Is there any like a fund that they're able to voluntarily pay into uh, in order to help finance social equity startups? Not currently, but that's actually a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I was just thinking about it because, you know, you talk about uh, 
yeah, trying to get them into the industry, social equity candidates into the industry. Like I say, I think the number one barrier is just the cost in and of itself. Like you guys, you guys know it. You look at just just to get into the industry, it's in and of itself costs enough. And then we have all of these other other barriers to entry with regard to costs of licenses and such. So um, yeah. Anyways, I, I that's think, all. Just, I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I I, I think too. I think there to fund social equity businesses and sometimes it's just a matter of finding a matchmaker and finding finding the right fit for investor dollars and because i know that there are investors out there that are are waiting to do it and and sometimes it's just a matter of of matchmaking so hopefully that's a, a, a place where we can we can help provide some value as well Awesome. Well, uh, Betsy, Mark, this was an awesome conversation. Definitely didn't expect to talk to you about the markets today. I thought we were going to stay in the confines of finance, but that, that was fun. I, I liked it. Cole, oh. you, you actually broke up the last part. I didn't hear what the last part Sorry, the, the, the last uh, I'd love to sentences. have you both back on sometime in the future, maybe if you're ever even in the state. Oh, that would be fantastic. You, are you able to hear um, now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Um, so I, I think um, I plan on being, I think Mark will be there as well. There's a conference in early December. I believe it's December 5th. Um, let's see. In you remember Chicago. what the, yeah, in Chicago. So um, yeah, it's the, it's the, uh, yeah, you can. Cool. <laughs> so will you, will you be there as well? Um, Cause if so, that would be a good time to meet up, but yeah, we'd love to. Yeah. We'll, fi we'll figure that we'll figure that out off air. I think I may, um, but we, yeah, we'll figure that out off, off air. Uh, remind us really quick uh, before we hop off air where folks can find you online um, so that they can look into your services if they're interested. Great. Yeah. You can find us at morumwaller.cpa. We're also on Instagram at Moramwaller CPA, and you can email either Mark or I or at Betsy at Moramwaller.cpa or Mark at Moramwaller.cpa. Cool. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the Chillinoy podcast. I just want to give you both uh, an opportunity. Uh, anything else that you wanted to mention before we go? Nothing other than thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Cole. Yeah, thanks for, for sure. having us. Yeah, pleasure to speak with you and we'll definitely talk again in the future. Awesome. Great, thanks, take care.